The comments within the following podcast are those of any show hosts and not representative of any company in which the show hosts may represent. Welcome to podcast number 299. My name is Jared Reimer and I hope that you will enjoy the podcast as much as I have putting it together. This year, we've had podcasts 268 through 299. Last year, we had 253 to 267. A big difference a year makes in regards to content, even though a lot of it was breach-related. And this podcast is no exception. We started this podcast a week ago when I became under the weather. As it turned out, a meeting was canceled. The question, what do you use for checking the weather? Is it a smartphone? Is it the weather channel, TV, radio? I'd like to hear about it. I talk about things that are out there that are available to use. According to Security Now, FTP, the file transfer protocol, is going away. I talk about it and give my thoughts. You can listen to Security Now for more information in regards to this. I have a Braille transcription course update in regards to Lesson 5 and a correction. That's the third segment. The fourth. Breaches in plenty. Is there a way to fixing and minimizing the damage? The fifth. Braille transcription course assignment number six. Since the podcast wasn't released, I decided to go ahead and do one more segment in regards to that. Talking about malformed lines. Is there such a thing? Has anybody heard of it? I recap an email from my person who is grading my assignments with the understanding that these are the terms that are used. And finally, contact information is at the end of the podcast. I hope that each and every one of you enjoyed the podcast as much as I have and I continue to post to the blog as well. The blog address is technology.jaredreimer.net. If you are listening to this on Livewire or Ground Zero, the box number for both systems is 2276. I hope that you will enjoy the program as much as I have putting it together for you. I hope to have one more podcast out before the end of the year. Let's get started with this podcast talking about the weather.
Hello, everybody. Welcome to podcast number 299. My name is Jared Reimer, and I'm recording this particular segment of the podcast on a Thursday morning when I was supposed to go to a meeting and it was canceled due to the inclement weather we are having at this current time. And it got me thinking a little bit more about bringing up a topic that isn't talked about enough. Not safety, not security, not aspects of your life that you take for granted day to day, whether you're sighted blind, or have any other disabilities. I'm talking about, more specifically, knowing what the weather is. And I want to take this opportunity to talk about some of the options that may be available for you to make the best decision in your area to know what your weather is like. I've demoed some of these things and there may be others I'm missing and I thought what I would do is open up the topic to allow people to demonstrate the various types of things that they use to get their weather. I have several things that I can use. I talked, I think, briefly about Jibo and its companion app. And Jibo, I'm not too sure on where to get. I have it because my father bought it and it was from what I understand a prototype of something similar to some of the other devices out there it can do weather and it can do other stuff too I don't know too many people who have it I don't know much about it the app has some issues with voiceover but it is manageable I've already contacted the folks at the company to let them know about my concerns and they did receive the feedback and said they would pass it on and that's all we can ask. Now, the other devices a lot of people know about, such as Google and their products and Alexa. You can ask both of those about the weather. And if they are connected to the internet, they will go out and get you the forecast. Some of these devices can give you a five-day forecast. But What about the phone? The 
iPhone comes with a default weather app, which is connected to the weather channel. And by default, it will base your current location as your city and you can add other cities. But what about receiving alerts? Well, there are several different apps out there. I use and have demonstrated on this podcast Weather Radio from WDT Technologies, Weather Decision Technology. They are a team of meteorologists who put together this nice accessible app and they get their alerts directly from the National Weather Service. On the day that I am recording this, Overnight, they issued what's called an aerial flood advisory. As a lot of people know, a lot of California recently burned right after Halloween. When we get significant rain, as is what the case is on the current day that I'm taping this, we will have flash flooding, mudslides, and a big time problem. That's one of the reasons why the meeting that I was supposed to attend has been canceled was because it was going to be pretty bad outside. I am happily content staying at home as I continue to recover from a case of bronchitis. What if you don't have weather radio? Apple This has a listing of various apps and a lot of them are accessible and some of them are marked inaccessible and that can help you too. One of the items that I saw I believe an app called Dark Sky. It also has the same type of alerts, but it also has other features such as moonrise and moonset and other aspects of things that people might be interested in. Now I'm not too familiar with Android and this is where you can come in and you can tell me what you use. So, I'm sure that there are apps out there that could help you prepare and let you know when severe weather, such as aerial flood advisories, hurricanes, fire, information, and so forth is out there.
there are many types of alerts out there. And depending on your area, some may not apply to you. For example, in the western part of the United States, in especially California, we're not too prone to hurricane alerts. Some of the hurricanes that have gone close to Baja and surrounding areas have affected us in California in some aspect or another. But by the time they've gotten here, it was pretty much a rain event or a wind event. And we know that there are times where this type of information is of value. Now, the email I got was late last night, and it was a good thing that I did check to see if there was anything of importance. And I could be traveling right now to this meeting, and I've never known that it was canceled unless I checked my email. And seeing that I also saw on my alerts that we had an aerial flood advisory, I knew that I would definitely have to leave at the time I was scheduled to leave because you want to make sure that you are as safe as possible when you travel in this type of weather. And I was prepared because I had an umbrella and I knew that I was going to need it. Now, what can you do if you do not have a smartphone? Because there are people that do not have a smartphone and so they can't receive the alerts or they don't have the capability of checking the weather unless they turn on the radio, which is in itself a good source to get weather information, but they don't necessarily tell you that there's an aerial flood advisory or that there are strong winds out there. There's a wind advisory or a fire weather warning or, you know, a hurricane watch or something else that might affect their area. Well, 
at least with Jaws, when you hit insert space R, there is an option in that dialog to type in your city and select weather from its list and it uses either the weather channel or weather underground or one of these particular websites it gives you the forecast and it also will display as a link any alerts in your area. I don't have JAWS set for everyone to hear at this current time, but if I open mine, since I live in Woodland Hills, a suburb of Los Angeles, it will tell me as a heading what it pulled up Woodland Hills aerial flood advisory link wind advisory link and then underneath it'll tell me what time it last pulled for an update which was 751 it'll give me the temperature humidity dew point wind the pressure and the conditions outside. The visibility uh, clouds and then it will go through right now it says Wednesday Wednesday night but it has nothing because it was for yesterday and then it'll start on Thursday and it'll go through a week. But what if you don't have JAWS and the ability to use this tool. Well, there's weather.com and you could sign up to receive emailed alerts for various types of events that might be of interest to you. Of course, there's Weather Underground and there are other sites and I believe you can even ask Google, you know, what's the weather outside? in or uh you know a particular area what's the weather for uh you know los angeles california and it'll pull it up <clears throat> for example it says periods of rain high 61 winds west southwest 10 to 20 Miles an hour, chance of rain, 90%. Well, right now, at the current time I'm taping this, it's currently raining. And so, I already knew it was going to be bad. But, of course, you don't know how bad it is. Now, it's time for me to hear from you. What types of things do you use to keep yourself abreast of the weather, especially if you're using an Android?
I would love to hear from you, so please send me an email. My email address for this podcast is tech, that's T-E-C-H, at M-E-N-V-I dot O-R-G. If you're listening to this via Livewire or Ground Zero, my box number on those systems is 2276. You can also text or WhatsApp me at 804-442-6975. I will continue with more of the podcast. Thanks for listening. I was listening to Security Now recently, and the topic of FTP came up. And it came up because Firefox and Chrome are looking to disable this feature. Because 0.01% of users utilize it. And Windows Explorer also comes with this feature. Although the last time I tried to utilize that some years ago, it became quite interesting. And I want to talk about it a little bit. Now we had Armando from Northern California provide 98.6 The Mix a little tutorial of WinSCP, which I currently utilize. I also have FileZilla, which I had used for the longest time. Both programs are good in their own way. But my recent experience using Windows Explorer as a file transfer program didn't go so great. First of all, the program tried to log in anonymously. Then it errored out. And then I was able to hit the file menu and select login and log in with credentials. To be fair, I haven't used Firefox as an FTP client. Now, with my current setup, I don't believe we allow anonymous FTP. However, if you have an account on my server, 
you can log in using ftp.jrimer.net with your particular credentials. The default port for FTP is 21. We don't support SFTP, which is secure FTP. The DJs at 986themix have uploaded their podcast into their directory. And they also know not to mess with the index file that's in their directory. And they maintain their files for a month. As a web designer, I use FTP for making sure that my files that I modify get up to the server so that the website gets updated. But what about sharing files? Well, there are services like Dropbox, which will allow you to give people a public link. You also have shared folders. And it all works. But what if somebody doesn't have Dropbox? Well, you can send them a public link to any file in your Dropbox now. And it doesn't matter where in your directory tree that it has been stored. Another option, and I just downloaded a zip file recently, is Google Drive. For free, you get 15 gigs of space. And on Dropbox, you get 2 gigs of space for free. And there are paid options. Now, what if you only have a web server and you don't utilize these services? Well, first of all, you have to have the web space to be able to do this. But you could upload a file using FTP. And there are other file sharing services such as you send it and send space. Both have paid options to give you the opportunity to upload larger files. And of course, there are other services that will allow you to share documents more securely. Some of them have been advertised on security now. One of them that comes to mind is FileShare, I believe it is that depending on the, your needs, you can expire files and all sorts of stuff. If you're HIPAA compliant, it would do it a certain way. One moment, please. Sorry, wait a 
So. This is definitely something of interest. There's lots of services out there. They come and go. And there are probably new ones coming out all the time. Now, when we upload to Livewire, my telespace, and Fillmore Productions voicemail, we are using HTTP. Livewire and Ground Zero have a 300 megabyte limit on each file as an MP3 or any other audio equivalent, M4A, WAV, or others. My telespace supports MP3 files and the HTTP limit for transferring files is 2 gigabytes according to what I've been told. I believe the limit of 300 megabytes was implemented on Livewire because after so long it actually times out, even though the file is transferred successfully. So, I can understand that. Uh, so... That is that. Now, services like SendSpace also use HTTP, but you may also find that there is a wizard that will allow you to upload to your account, and it acts like a download manager. Now, if you remember back in the day, you could use GetWrite, as a file transfer platform to upload files, but I've never used it that way. I'm sure that you can find information on FTP clients using your favorite search engine, but I'm curious on your thought on whether or not you think FTP should be removed from the browser. And does it really matter? My contact information will be given again at the end of the program. But again, you can email me at tech, T-E-C-H, at M-E-N-V-I And let me know. I completely misspoke when I said at the intro of Podcast 298 that I did the first 10 lessons in regards to a review of where I've been, what's coming up, and confusion in the Braille transcription course.
in reviewing the particular file I noticed that I went through 12. Once I shake the cough I will continue with 13 through the end as I have the information available but I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this particular podcast because I'm still recovering from being under the weather but I will tell you that I did submit five and I actually did pretty good I missed one item and it was a contraction where it should have been and So that's not terrible. I think I'm starting to understand things now. And hopefully I can continue to work to better understand these things. So where am I now? I've been working diligently on item number six, which talks about more contractions. And I found a very interesting bug, which is in the way the program back translates into print. And during these lessons, I am using six key entry and I am following the guidelines of how they want me to braille the lessons. But when I was looking at the print, I was told that there was a missing quote mark at the end of one of the sentences on item number six. But there's actually a different issue at play in regards to quote marks and how they are back translated. So I definitely found a bug. So this is actually a good thing where I am finding something that is not quite right, but yet I'm not a programmer, but it seemed that it wasn't right. I'm not too familiar with Simbraille, but according to what I've been told by Bob, the closing quote mark in this particular sentence that gave me some grief in proofing number six was a Simbraille closing quote mark. In fact, it was closing it as a two-cell quote, not a single cell, as I put in the Braille. Very interesting stuff. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it at the moment. Uh, I have finished number 10 in the transcription phase, and I'll be starting 11 soon. I think I may end up taking a bit of a break from actually doing more and working on what I already have. Not that I can't, but because I think at this time I'm feeling a little overwhelmed with trying to grasp everything in the way that they're doing the lessons. It seems to me that it's a lot And I think I need some time to relax. Not worry about the transcription for now. And concentrate on reading other stuff and bringing up other topics of interest 
for the podcast itself. As indicated, I'm not spending a lot of time on the podcast for this particular podcast, but we'll return back to full Braille transcription once I resume next week. In all of that, I'm going to be interested on how I'm going to do the reading assignment that is supposed to be submitted to me after completing item six. So I think it's time to take a week off of doing the transcription, looking at what I have already and fixing those things that I find that are not correct. So that's what I'll be concentrating on instead of doing more. We'll continue with more of the podcast. I'm Jared Reimer. This is Tech 299. Hello again, folks. Well, there's been some time that passed between the beginning of this podcast and this file. I had been under the weather and I'm feeling a lot better at this current time. And I'm actually glad I waited until I am better to do this file because it was definitely difficult to do some of the files. Some were okay, but others gave me a little bit of some trouble. That's what happens when you get sick. But this is how life works, and life works in many different ways, including finding out that you are part of a breach. Now, this is nothing new for the podcast, because for a while I did not do any podcasts because all I was seeing was this breach, that breach, you know, uh, this aftermath, that aftermath, and I was trying to always find something different. But I realized that after so long, we need to cover the breaches. Get the information out. That's what podcasting is about. So, there are several different articles, and many of them, that talk about this various breach issue that I'm about to talk about. This time, it is at Marriott. But, what makes this rather interesting is the fact that this is not a breach that happened within the last six months to a year. And this is a little irritating because if you think about it,
in one of the articles that I linked to, which was timely, it can take up to 191 days to find out that you're breached. And this is very interesting news. Because I've been thinking for the longest time, how do you know you're not breached? And it is very difficult to tell this type of thing. <clears throat> so, for it to be quite a challenge, we need to take a different approach, and that is this. We all know that breaches are going to be a part of our lives until we're gone. And so with that in mind, we need to take a different approach. We need to say, okay, we are in a world where we can't do much about it, but we can take steps to make sure that we are as safe as possible. In the article that I penned titled, The Breaches Continue, What Else is New? And I talk about this The Marriott recently bought out Starwood, and the initial breach that was reported in 2015, and I believe that I talked about through an article on Krebs on Security, uh, talked about it then. CyberScoop and Krebs on Security have various takes on this breach. Action News Now also has a video and article on it. The number in this instance is 500 billion. Right? Or 500 million. 500 million, 500 billion, a half a... Or, you know, the number itself doesn't matter. <clears throat> This is a four-year breach that started at at Starwood and manifested itself into Marriott. When the breach happened, it was already a year old. So now this is four years old. And then, <clears throat> on top of that, you've got the United States Postal Service. 
around the same time reporting a breach. This one's 60 million, which doesn't include duplicates in regards to the address. And today's data breach environment from Trend Micro was a great find at a great opportunity. Now, after I posted all of that, Krebs on security, of course, continues to write. And <clears throat> this article was no different. The article was entitled, What the Marriott Breach Says About Security. And that was quite interesting because we know that from the data breach article that Trend Micro has, we know that it takes a while. And then I was reading that Jared's jeweler and K Jeweler had a breach that could have been damaging. It has been fixed, but after placing an order, somebody changed something in the URL and was able to access other information. Security 101 according to that article on Krebs. And then, of course, we must talk about Sharefire, who has been a sponsor on Twit and Citrix. And they say this is not a vulnerability, but they forced quite a number of people to reset their passwords. And they say it's because of potential password misuse where the same password is used on multiple services and that it's a new practice. So all of this is coming near the end of the year where it's quite interesting. Right? <clears throat> We're talking about A bunch of stuff all at once and whether it's a half a billion or a, or a half a million the number itself you can go look up but it's astonishing that the numbers just keep growing And the thing that we're learning about the Marriott breach is that this one, instead of offering credit monitoring, is offering a 
years worth of a service that trolls the underground for your personal data. I personally think that that would be more valuable than credit monitoring, although you should sign up for whatever you're given because it could be a good thing. It's better than not doing anything. But at the same time, I'm wondering what we can do because now the data that was taken are travel plans, when you're due to arrive, your name, a phone number, maybe an email address, <clears throat> other personally identifiable information. And we do not have a say-so in the matter. It is absolutely unfair that we do not have a recourse to tell companies that they should be more careful. Now, granted, databases can get hacked. We really honestly don't know what the issues are. But it is definitely interesting that we are getting a lot more breaches now between Krebs on security and CyberScoop and people that send me information. I'm sure that we will continue to be talking about this for many more years to come. As I continue to work through my Braille course, The criminals are continuing to take data on every single one of us. <clears throat> and I'm sure that depending on the situation, we will be breached time and again. I have been part of several breaches and somebody that I have gotten uh, reacquainted with because they were once at a radio station I was at actually sent me an email and that email is the breach notification and they also said that they were also part of several different breaches. So, 
I don't think that this is going away anytime soon. Now, what could we do? Well, we could continue to monitor our own information, such as credit cards and bank statements, where applicable. And, sadly, I wish we could hold companies accountable, but we don't really know how they store our data. And they must have the information about when we are to arrive in in those instances with hotels because they have to have the room ready. I'm curious on your thoughts on how we can start to change the aspect of well, we'll store the data, we have to have it, and, oh, it's not something we can prevent. I mean, should we have them store the database offline? I don't know, because you go to their main website, and depending on where you're going, the other hotel that actually is doing is is providing you the services has to have the data somewhere so what is the solution I would love to hear some thoughts on what we could possibly do to change companies to be able to store our data as securely as possible. I don't want to say that we're never going to get hacked and we're never going to get breached because that will never happen. We're always going to have these problems now. But to prevent it or take steps to minimize the damage is what I'm looking for. What do you think? Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. My name is Jared, and I want to do a second Braille transcription update in regards to Lesson 6 since the podcast has not been released. There was one mistake which turned into a spelling error, which is understandable. As transcribers, we want to transcribe something we are given exactly as it's written. The sentence in question was Steg Larson's The Girl Who Kicked the Hornet's Nest is the third book of the trilogy. Now, I was still quite confused because the report indicates that there's a spelling error which then turns into a malformed line. And now, 
I have been really concerned about this malformation because I talked to a lead transcriber who has already taken to the uh, fact that they are certified and they read the particular sentence that I just read you and did not find anything wrong. They were suggesting that I go ahead and count the cells and in this case it seems to be okay. Now I have corrected the mistake and in most of these lessons I've not corrected them because they were trivial. <clears throat> I may end up going through and looking at them in due time and fixing them based on feedback but for now I'm not going to but I wanted to on this one because on this sentence I was like okay what is it supposed to be and it turned out that the word kicked moved to the next line when I viewed it in Braille 2000 <clears throat> so I said okay I am resending you the corrected version of this lesson to inquire the difference between the particular issue of malformation of these lines. And the last time we talked about this, it, it made sense, but the fact that one word goes on to a, another line because you had a misspelling isn't, in my opinion, a malformation. It's just the way Braille works. <clears throat> but the email I got said that they are expecting it as a grader to be a certain way. Okay, I completely understand that you are a grader. Okay, you have everything that is supposed to be shown corrected so that you are able to properly grade one's assignments. Now, malformation may happen if the program used sees something different. It could call it malformed. But I think we should go ahead and not call it malformed. But if there is a misspelling, tell me that I misspelled the word. I have every right to be docked for misspelled words. Okay? I don't have a problem with that. So, this made more sense. It said, 
that a malformed line simply means that a line that doesn't appear as it should. Sometimes this means that the line has too much text, but what's too much? A spelling error, putting a word on the line that maybe it shouldn't have been? Okay, just tell me it's a misspelling. Remember that you're submitting a test. And yes, in a way, we are tested and graded based on how the exercise is supposed to look, based on the fact that they have the answers and we do not. Some people mistakenly start a sentence in style 4 instead of 3. This would be considered a malformed line because of the fact that they started in cell 4. <clears throat> so, this is very interesting. But, This <clears throat> also indicates a couple of things. That he, she uses a contraction that should not have been or misspelled a word. <clears throat> so, I'm wondering if we should exclude the word malformed but this actually goes a little further than the way we discussed it before which better understands how they grade which can better assist with the understanding of what the grader may expect and remember each instructor is going to be different in this. My instructor, whose name is Mark, is basically following what he is given as correct transcription for the particular lessons using a computer program or a braille display, depending on what he has and I honestly don't know that and I'm not going to assume one way or the other he tells me he has a key but I'm not sure what that means and <clears throat> I'm not about to go probing for every possible answer because then I could know how to circumvent it which I'm not trying to do I'm trying to understand how to do the best job possible and what exactly they're looking at. But this email talks about malformed contractions. And this could mean that a dot in a two-cell contraction was placed in the wrong position. And I'm sure that happens. And 
the email there, even though it wasn't read word for word, better explains what they're looking for. Yes, I made a spelling error. I see that. <clears throat> I checked with the book and saw that it was definitely misspelled. But I think personally, and I'm wondering what people think, that malformed needs to go. Please tell us that there's a misspelled word. We have every right to know that the word we transcribed is misspelled. But I don't think that it is malformed based on what you have. I think telling us that we misspelled a word should be sufficient enough. And I think whether you're dealing with a sighted transcriber or a blind transcriber, treating everybody the same is the key. So if you are telling the sighted person that they misspelled a word, then <clears throat> they can easily see that. For a blind person without a braille copy of the assignments, which I realized I needed to after what happened to me with two and three, with various errors of all sorts, and I even explained that I went through it. And then I realized, you know what? After I correct all of this and make it satisfactory, I am not going to do my assignments this way anymore. And several reports were successful without any issue. Going through them, making sure that they are to the best of my ability, following the format, and everything else. Remember, if in this particular lesson, I was actually questioning number one because of the way that when I was viewing it in print, because then I could read it in print using JAWS, and I could better have the Braille to tell me if there's a mistake or if I hear it in the way the speech is reading it to me, I go, oh, there's a mistake here. And I could look at it more closely. And then, of course, for the first 12 lessons anyway, we need to write in six-key entry. So I would go in six-key entry and correct it. So those are my thoughts anyway in regards to what I think the bigger issue is. Braille's not malformed. If there's a misspelling, let us know. But telling us there's too much text on the line is up for interpretation of the way the Braille is laid out. If it's formatted incorrectly, for example, in the email he said if they start in cell 4, 
just tell me that you did not follow the instructions. It's supposed to be 3-1, not 4-1. Or however you are seeing it, either using your program, which interprets it, or whether you choose to read the Braille. I think we can come out a winner if we have better communication with the terminology used within the course grading scale and what we are expecting to have. I am curious on your thoughts. Thanks for listening. Let's end this podcast on this rainy Thursday, and I hope that you've enjoyed the podcast as much as I have bringing it to you. I hope to have at least one more podcast before year's end. My contact information is email and iMessage tech, that's T-E-C-H, that's M-E-N-V-I dot O-R-G. You can text 804-442-6975 or you can also use WhatsApp with the same telephone number. If you have my other contact information, you are welcome to utilize that. And you can also find other contact information available on my website, which is J-A-R-E-D-R-I-M-E-R dot N-E-T. I look forward to seeing you again on another edition of the podcast coming soon.